Welcome to episode 182 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about decentralization. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media on topics such as Anthony Fauci, the injunctions against the vaccine mandates, Australia's approach to COVID, stagflation, or let's go Brandon comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating, hit the like button, or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest Podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. My desired takeaway from this episode is for you to internalize the idea of decentralization and use it as a guidepost going forward when you evaluate political policy prescriptions. Run every policy prescription you hear from any politician, regardless of party, through the prism of decentralization. Is their prescription reinforcing or furthering the centralization of power or the decentralization? Why, you may ask? Because I contend that the root cause of virtually every problem we have in America and around the world can be attributed to centralization. And virtually every problem we have in America and around the world can be fixed by decentralization, making it a worthwhile subject of study. Jeff Dice, the president of the Mises Institute, put it this way, quote, Tens of millions of Americans now believe both the U.S. federal government and the major institutions in this country, from media to big corporations to universities to Hollywood to Big Pharma and the medical establishment, are actively working against their interests. They have no self-interest in defending a world already lost. He continues, America is barely a country at this point beyond a pure economic arrangement. Without material abundance, no small thing, of course, what really connects us? America certainly is not a cohesive nation in any meaningful way, and why should it be, given its vast geography and enormous diversity? If you agree with Dice's sentiments, then this episode is for you. So let's start at the beginning. Decentralization is the idea that more is better from a governing point of view. Centralization is the opposite. Less is worse. Think monopolies or one-size-fits-all. Unless you are an authoritarian or a brainwashed leftist, decentralization is always preferred to centralization. And given the federal government's 100% failure rate, it makes this argument even more compelling. What do you get from centralization? You get fewer choices, fewer opportunity for experiment, and little competition. Decentralization means the opposite. More choices, more experimentation, and more competition. Think about your average grocery store. How many types of toilet paper, deodorant, cereal, and beer is available to you? Now consider what a grocery store looks like back in the day in the Soviet Union or, or Venezuela before it collapsed, or Cuba today. If you want an easy way to think about decentralization, think about all the one-size-fits-all solutions we live under here in America, and for that matter, around the world. Why should we be stuck with one-size-fits-all? Abortion laws, 
pharmaceutical laws, speed limit, welfare, the drinking age, what's an illegal drug? What about Obamacare and all the socialized medicine, Medicare for all schemes? Or the education system and student loans? One size fits all. All of it means more centralized power and control and makes it easier for the authoritarians to use their power to control us. Nothing exemplifies the failure of the one-size-fits-all centralization concept more than the government's response to COVID. For months, it was one-size-fits-all with Fauci and Burks and that other dude holding daily press conferences with Trump and Pence, offering up dictates from on high. Is there anyone listening to this that agrees that the response to COVID by the federal, national, central government was effective? The lies, the manipulation, the censorship, the misinformation, the lockdowns, the printing of money. Think about the efforts taken by the central government here in America, whereby they restricted, literally forbid, the use of proven, safe, cheap, and effective treatments for COVID like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Or what about what they're doing now with monoclonal antibody treatments? The federal government is stockpiling and hoarding it and distributing it to the states as they see fit. What the hell is that? Why is the federal government involved in, in this at all? Where in the Constitution is that? Healthcare, drug distribution. All of this shit should be decentralized down to the local level. Municipalities should take care of their own people. Hell, neighborhoods and churches should be setting up their own treatment centers. Everything the National Democrats push leads to more and more centralization. It's a socialist agenda. It's one cram down after another. And think about the policies that they are currently pursuing. They want to eliminate the filibuster, nationalize election laws, nationalize your local police, force vaccine mandates on everyone. All of it designed to centralize power in their hands and leave us helpless to do anything about it. Decentralization is valuable because smaller states are less able to exercise monopoly power and are therefore less oppressive than larger states, which is why the powers that be oppose decentralization with everything they've got. Think about your elected officials. Would you prefer having congressmen and senators in D.C. who represent hundreds of thousands to tens of millions of people who live in virtually complete isolation from you? Or would you prefer to have your elected official to be your neighbor? Don't you think there's a certain level of built-in restraint when your constituents can walk up to your door or approach you as you cut the grass on Saturday morning rather than hiding behind their Washington, D.C. residence with private security or in their mansion back home with the same? Murray Rothbard pointed out that smaller always makes it more difficult to demonize your political opponents. Quote, the greater the number of new nations and the smaller the size of each, the better. For it would be far more difficult to sow the illusion of self-sufficiency if the slogan were by North Dakota or by 56th Street than it now is to convince the public to buy American. Simply, down with the South Dakota or down with the 56th Street would be a more difficult sell than spreading fear or hatred of the Japanese. Smaller, more decentralized government make it more likely that individuals are able to live within a community that more closely reflects their individual preferences and needs. I have reviewed Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution in many TruthQuest episodes. Here's just a short recap. This part of the Constitution lists what powers the newly formed general or national government was granted. It is very limited. As James Madison put it, 
quote, the powers delegated by the proposed constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain with the state governments are numerous and indefinite. Just in case there are any misunderstandings of the founders' intentions, they got the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution ratified by the states. Why is the Tenth Amendment important? Well, when discussing decentralization at the national level, it's important to lay the greatest stress on this forgotten amendment and to try to decompose the role and power of the government. Rather than trying to vote for people of one's own ideological persuasion, its power should be rolled back and minimized as far as possible, and therefore its power decomposed. When it comes down to it, the Tenth Amendment was a tool to minimize centralized government and maximize decentralization. Two things our overlords in D.C. want nothing to do with. Minimize their power? Decentralize things? I don't think so. If you want to go deeper into the Tenth Amendment, check out episode 120. Back to my point about limited power granted to the national government in the Constitution. The founders envisioned a system of federalism. The idea is expounded on by historian Brian McClanahan when he, when he talks about think locally, act locally. It's the more the better concept I mentioned before. Having a single point of failure is always a bad idea. You want to have redundancies or fail-saves. You would rather have 50 states than one. Remember the concept of laboratories of democracy? The utopian vision of government is that it exists to protect the rights of its citizens, protect them from the bad guys, enforce contracts, pick up the trash, stuff like that. And for the most part, your local government does just that. However, as you move up the government ladder, centralization creeps in, as does human nature's need for power and control. It's important for you to understand that the state, the government, is invasive. They are intrusive. They are obstructionists. They are impediments. They limit freedom. They take from the productive. So why would we want the state or the government to be the all-powerful Oz? Why would anyone in their right mind endorse one-size-fits-all? Our goal should always be to limit the power of government, or in a word, decentralize. Here are a few examples of decentralization. The digital age is an incredible force for decentralization. The ability to start a business, shop, or sell all around the world, or to get information, despite big tech's censorship. Obviously, a big part of the digital world is media. Today, we have the choice of thousands of media outlets and podcasts like this one, versus back in the day, we had Walter Cronkite, Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings, and of course, the Alphabet Soup conspiracy media, or a handful of newspapers that would dictate what the news we, the people, could hear. Well, what about money? Well, central banks that manipulate interest rates, and at least here in America, simply print dollars, causing inflation and leading to the eventual collapse of the U.S. dollar and bankruptcy, that's the centralized plan. Why are they permitted to effectuate a one-size-fits-all monetary policy? Decentralization in this arena is happening with cryptocurrencies, and there are always sound money strategies to employ using precious metals like gold and silver that decentralize money, or at the very least, take the power away from the central government. Murray Rothbard hypothesized, quote, what if each province or each neighborhood or street or block were to print its own currency? A more decentralized world would be far more likely to turn to sound market commodities like gold or silver for its money. Now, I understand this idea seems radical to many of you who have been conditioned, much like me before my conversion to reality, that paper U.S. dollars actually have value. 
Matt Ray, writing for Mises.org, put it this way, One of the most obvious ways fiat money enables centralization is by removing the limitations on the power of the government to inflate the currency that exists under a commodity money standard. Under a system of unbacked fiat money, there are fewer limitations, the ability of the regime to increase government spending by inflating the money supply. Continuing the idea of decentralization, would you rather have thousand-page omnibus bills full of shit rather than single-issue bills? That's, an, that's the idea of centralized, huge omnibus bills versus decentralized, single-issue bills. I don't know about you, but I can't take much more of listening to elected officials say shit like, well, I know the bill isn't perfect, but I had to vote for it because it had some good stuff in it, despite its flaws. I call bullshit on that. If you want to send a billion dollars to a particular industry, write up a one-page bill, offer it up, debate it, and vote it up or down so I know where you stand. Back to the idea of decentralization. What about retailers? Would you rather have a monopolist selling your favorite products or services or several that compete against each other for your business? Another advantage of decentralization is it limits the headbutting between large, centralized jurisdictions because they're doing their thing over there and we're doing our thing over here. No one is forcing anyone to do anything they don't want to do. No more cramdowns. You do you and I'll do me and all will be well with the world. At the end of the day, the question is, would you rather have a handful of people making decisions for you or millions of people making their own decisions for themselves and thus creating the market? The founders, Thomas Jefferson in particular, thought the United States was too large to be run by a central government. That was back in the day when I think there was like a population of 3 million. Do you want a Politburo or the market? Do you want Pelosi, Schumer, McConnell, McCarthy or the market? Do you want Fauci the fraud telling you what to do and how to do it when it comes to COVID? Or thousands of doctors working in hundreds of countries researching and testing different protocols? Do you want Jerome Powell manipulating interest rates, destroying the U.S. dollar and bankrupting the country? Or millions, if not billions, of people in the market determining interest rates? And those same billions working through what currency to use? Do you prefer dictates coming from Washington, D.C. or from 50 state capitals? Do you prefer having decisions coming from 50 state capitals or thousands of individual municipalities? Think about how corrupt our current centralized system is. 545 people make decisions for 340 million people. 435 congressmen, 100 senators, 9 members of the Supreme Court, and the president. Look at how corrupt and or stupid the majority of these 545 people are. It's so easy for the bad guys, the foreign governments, the big corporations, the lobbyists, the interest groups to target this small number of people and manipulate them, blackmail them into doing their bidding. It's as sinister as it gets. Think about the extortion racket run out of Washington, D.C. The average state in the United States receives 30% of their revenue not from taxes, but from the feds. Think about the implications of that. How is it any different than having a criminal enterprise funding your business? The states are all subject to what amounts to extortion and strong-arming, just as our 545 officials are subjected to the same thing. Decentralization 
takes the 545 number into the millions by pushing the decision-making down to the local level. Hell, I'm with Rothbard. Screw the state level at this point. We need to push it down to the city and county level where these politicians have to live amongst their constituents and actually be accountable. We need to diffuse and disperse power. That's what decentralization is all about. Do you remember the Jeff Dice quote that I read at the beginning of the episode where he was essentially calling for a national divorce? Wouldn't it be better to separate than to fight amongst ourselves? It's the idea of secession, of which I've produced several standalone episodes about. I will list them in the show notes, but if you're curious, they are episodes 87, 88, and 128. If New York, Washington State, Oregon, and California want to go off the rails and restrict their citizens' freedoms with draconian COVID policies and or allow Antifa and BLM to occupy some of their major cities, go for it. But leave the rest of us the hell alone. Like Mises, Murray Rothbard contended that smaller, more decentralized government made it more likely that individuals would be able to live within a community that more closely reflected their individual preferences and needs. Secession is a tool to increase self-determination for both voluntary communities and individuals. At its core, secession is about decentralization and self-determination. It's about freedom. Rothbard called it radical decentralization. The idea of secession goes beyond the concept of state secession. States separating themselves from the corrupt, fraud-infested swamp of D.C. It goes to another level of that of the individual. Ludwig von Mises said, quote, The right of self-determination of which we speak is not the right of self-determination of nations, but rather the right of self-determination of inhabitants of every territory large enough to form an independent administrative state. If it were in any way possible to grant its right of self-determination to every individual person, it would have to be done. He went on to extol the virtues of secession, not only at the national or state level, but at the local level as well. All of it is good because it continues the decentralization process down to the individual level. And just to give you a real-world example of this, consider the Cal Exit Movement, whereby residents of Northern California and I think Southern Oregon wish to secede from their states and become part of Idaho. How cool is that? Instead of a national divorce, it's a regional one, whereby citizens who are no longer represented in Sacramento, or whatever the hell the capital is of Oregon, they peacefully secede to saner pastures. Radical decentralization argues that every state be allowed to secede from their nation, every substate from the state, every neighborhood from the city, and logically every individual or group from the neighborhood. Secession specifically, and decentralization generally, is a great good in and itself for anyone interested in freedom. It means that a giant central state has been broken up into constituent parts. It means greater competition between governments of different geographic areas, enabling people of one state to zip across the border to relatively greater freedom more easily. Have you seen the numbers published by United Van Lines lately? The number of Yankees, Northerners, moving to Florida and the Carolinas are off the charts. They are seceding with their feet. Speaking anecdotally, I I live in North Carolina. I see at least three New York license plates every time I leave the house. Hell, my next door neighbor moved here from Long Island in the middle of the COVID hysteria last year. In his book, Power and Market, in a chapter titled Defense Services on the Free Market, Rothbard noted 
If Canada and United States can be separate nations without being denounced as being in a state of impermissible anarchy, why may not the South secede from the United States? New York State from the Union? New York City from the state? Why not Manhattan secede? Each neighborhood, each block, each house, each person. End quote. At the end of the day, centralization is incompatible with human nature and natural law. People yearn to be free. Centralized governments, by their very nature, limit freedom. Leaders in centralized governments are easily manipulated, blackmailed, and corrupted, and let's be honest, they are not accountable to the voters. Sure, we can vote them out, but have you looked at the re-election rates of incumbents in D.C. lately? It's damn near 90% if I remember correctly. Remember, centralization gives you fewer choices, fewer opportunities for experiment, and little competition. Decentralization means the opposite. More choices, more experimentation, and more competition. Ryan McMakin over at Mises asked the question, Would you argue that the Estonians, Poles, and Slavins would be better off were they chained to their old masters in Moscow or Belgrade? He goes on to argue that meanwhile, experience continues to support the notion it is in small states and microstates that continue to offer freedom, choice, and openness of a sort not even contemplated by large states like China or even Germany. We have two choices. We can organize society around the state whereby corrupt politicians and lifetime bureaucrats dictate to the rest of us, or we can organize it around individuals, families, churches, local communities, markets, and other institutions of civil society. The former is the current dead-end centralized system the latter is one of boundless opportunities driven by decentralization. And that's the truth about decentralization. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.